Hello and welcome to another episode of AdventuresIn.net. I'm Sean Claybo, your host, and with me today, your other co-host, Wei Lu. Hey, Wei. Hey, Sean. How you doing? Good. It's a holiday weekend for us coming up here. It's Memorial Day, so I get a oh, three day, three day, it's a, three day weekend. So it's nice. It's a long weekend for us as well, actually. I don't know what public holiday it is though, but um, but I don't have to work <laughs> one day, so <laughs> like um, that's the important okay. part. <laughs> that's nice. Have you uh, started your new job yet? In a week or so, I'll start. Yeah. Right, cool. We'll uh, let people uh, kind of keep hanging through what Way's new job is. So. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's bring in our guest. It's Dominic Ullman. Welcome, Dominic. Hello, everybody. Dominic. Hi. Hey, folks. This is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendev.com. So uh, Dominic, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first, kind of what you do, how you got into development and how you got into .NET? Uh, sure, yes, I can uh, do that. So my my first interest in computer was a little bit um, gaming. <laughs> so that's uh, my first contact with uh, computers. And uh, then I was very curious on how those things work. And then I um, started looking into programming languages. Then afterward, continued with uh, going to university, studying uh, computer science there. And yeah, then afterward, I found a nice uh, company to work for. So uh, I started just after my studies there and I'm still working uh, for Elka now. Yeah, it's, uh, it's almost around 20 years now. Nice. So you're you're out of Switzerland. What's uh, the development world like in, in Switzerland? <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure if it's different than anywhere else. <laughs> yeah, we have, uh, for example, a big development center of Google in Zurich. So I think it's, yeah, Switzerland is quite quite a good place for software engineering. Do, do they like, just curiously, do they code in English or do they communicate in English and stuff? Or? Yeah, so in, in my company, we code definitively in English because we have uh, multiple locations over the world. For example, in uh, Vietnam or um, in Spain. So, yeah, you, you can't uh, do things in German. <laughs> so you have to mm. definitely do everything in English. So how did you get into .NET? It was during my studies, uh, one of my professors uh, introduced us uh, to this. It was uh, before the version one, and I found that uh, quite cool and uh, started uh, with working with C Sharp then. It was, I think it was in 2002. Yep, yep, that's about the right time. Uh, I, I started doing development before that, but so I did, you know, .NET 1, 1.1, 1 
two and you know ever ever since been involved in that so yeah it's a good good thing to stay in it, it uh, really keeps uh, things evolving and and getting better over time so that's kind of one reason that I've been able to to stay with it for for 20 plus years so it's nice absolutely yeah so our topic today is uh, dealing with async and await. It's a, a topic that a lot of people love, and I think a lot of people are very confused about. You know, there's been different ways over the different versions of a .NET of to do things asynchronously, but they've they've made it much easier now. So, kind of give us the, the introduction to async await and why we'd want to use it. Yeah, absolutely. I think with version one, it was quite cumbersome to write uh, async code, and yeah, Microsoft. Uh, definitely noticed this and made it much easier by introducing it directly into the language as a as a language feature in 2012 so by using the async await you can write the, the async code almost as similar to to synchronous code without the bothering too much about uh, all the constructs behind it. So it's much nicer to read. It's much easier to write. It's much more natural to write. So I think it's a very, very good addition to the, to the language. So why should, why should somebody use async await rather than just the, the standard methods of doing something? What's the benefit? So in comparison to the synchronous code, uh, for us, it was absolutely the scalability of the, the software. So I did some load tests on our software before we started uh, using uh, async await. And uh, then afterward, um, yeah, I um, have seen some points where scalability was not as I expected it. So we didn't get to enough uh, requests per second on the load. So then I made some experiments and uh, introduced async await for some part of our code already and um, measured again. And it improved uh, quite a lot due to this. So it was much better. So another, op- another thing when you want to use it, for example, in the user interface, if you're doing everything synchronously, the user interface easily gets unresponsive. If something takes a little bit longer and with the async await, the user interface stays quite uh, nicely responsive. So that's uh, another uh, reason why you want to use it. So is your user interface a web app or uh, like a Windows app? Or? In, in uh, our project, it's, it's a web app. Or the project I'm, uh, I have, or I use here as an example, that's uh, a web app. Yeah, the, but the responsive uh, stuff there, it's more about the, um, would more be like a WPF application or something like that. Yeah, our web app part, the user interface is um, written in TypeScript and uh, Angular. So there it's no longer .NET, sadly. But yeah, uh, yeah. I'm guessing you'd probably use async await in JavaScript as well, Ron, that, that version of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. So uh, we say async await, you know, what's async and what's await? And, you know, what did that, what's that do for you? You know, how do you use it? So the async await, it's, um, it's a, a language construct in C-sharp, which the compiler builds into a state machine in the end. So it, it ensures that when you call something which is awaitable, that it can return directly, or it can return to the uh, to the in, init point of the uh, of the thread. So 
it can uh, free up everything. So, and then when the awaitable operation is completed, it can take off uh, where it uh, left before again. So it can just continue seamlessly. So it means that you don't need to block uh, your thread while the, the operation is waiting for something. So for example, if you have a, a database call that normally involves some IO and some communication with the database, that normally means in the synchronous world, you just uh, block the thread and wait for the answer from the database server to arrive. But uh, within the async await world, you can do that much more clever. So if you touch or if you reach the point where you call the, the database, you can free up the, the thread and just continue again when the results arrive. So that means you, you can use that thread in the meantime for something much more appropriate. So doing some other uh, useful work instead of just sitting around and waiting, doing uh, Nothing really important. Yeah. And yeah, by, by this, you, you get much better scalability because you can reuse your system resources uh, in a much more useful way. And yeah, with the, the async await, it's quite easy to write the thing. So every awaitable operation, you can just uh, put the await in front of it and then the compiler does it magic that uh, it uh, frees up the thread and continues as soon as the operation can continue. What always, like when I first started doing the async await stuff, what kind of got me at the start was having to do the async stuff all the way up the stack. You know, you can't just do it on that one method. You have to do it on the method, the parent method as well uh, in the signature. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have to, to be able to return uh, to the completely up the, the call stack, otherwise it would not be able to free up the thread. So mm. it's quite transitive. So if you if you start at the bottom, you have to go up all the way to benefit from it. So it just doesn't bring anything if you just do it uh, on your uh, bottommost layer. And yeah, then it's you you could still call the method, but you would uh, yeah just wait synchronously on on the result of the async method, which doesn't bring anything for the resource consumption, you still do a busy waiting then in the end. So to really benefit from it, you have to go up to the to the outermost layer where everything starts. Yeah, I also found that I was one of the more challenging things is to be able to implement that async all the way up the stack. Because sometimes your entry method is really difficult to make as async. It doesn't really give you that ability to, to write something as, as your entry method as async. And so then you go, okay, how do I start not at the top top, but the next level do I start doing async? Mm-hmm. So that's always been challenging. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 We, we are locking our project because we are converting uh, mostly web APIs. And luckily, Microsoft uh, ensured that web APIs work perfectly with the async await. So it's also quite easy to convert the web API method to async await. You just uh, change the signature and uh, everything works uh, nicely for you. You just don't need to do more there. So um, that's very, very nice development experience to write uh, web APIs uh, with the async await pattern. So uh, you've been using 
uh, source code generators along with async await. Yes. Yeah. How'd you start doing that? And and, uh, what are you getting out of it? What's the benefit? So, yes, we already have seen this to benefit from the async await. You have to really um, convert all your code to, uh, or, or to write all your code with async await aware. So we had started uh, with our project uh, too early to really um, benefit or, or to, to um, start initially with the async await because we, we started in 2015. And uh, we used nHibernate as our object relational mapper. And nHibernate was not supporting async await back then. They just did that in 2017. So for us, it somehow didn't make sense to go with the async await uh, already back then. But uh, yeah, later on, we found out that... Um, we would really benefit from converting our code to async await, but we have a very large code base of around uh, 500,000 lines of code of C-sharp code. So that's a measure from uh, Sonar. It's without white spaces and uh, stuff like that. So just really the, the interesting lines of code, it's around 500,000. And yeah, if you if you have that completely synchronous and you want to, to convert that to async, that would be quite, a huge amount of work if you want to do that by hand. And also, additionally, you have the problem about the, the transitiveness. So if you if you start from the innermost layer, it means that you have to, to if you just uh, convert uh, methods there, it means that you have to touch all your callers as well to, to make it working. You can't just don't adopt the callers. You have to adopt the callers. You can either convert them as well to async await, or you could uh, do the busy waiting. But if you do that, then you don't benefit from it, and you also risk uh, some uh, threat pool exhaustion or deadlocks, which is also not nice. So if you just call the result property on a async method to call it from sync code, that's not really a good idea. You don't benefit from it, and you can introduce additional problems if you do that. So. Yeah, the, the only option for us is to really convert it from the innermost layer to the outermost layer. But if you have such a, a large code base, you definitely can't do that by hand. So while thinking about that, I remembered about uh, some thing I have seen in the nHibernate uh, source code. So for some tasks in our project, I did a small contribution to the nHibernate source code. And by doing this, I learned how they did that in the nHibernate code. So they started um, very early with the nHibernate uh, source code, converting just the Java code as it was around in the timeframe of .NET 2 or something like that. So long before async await appeared. And they had also a large code base of uh, synchronous code. But they have an additional issue. They have to support both the, the synchronous and the asynchronous API. So meaning for them, it's not an option to just convert everything to async await because it would break all the callers. So they thought about the very clever approach of um, solving this issue. They looked at their synchronous code and uh, found a way on automatically converting that to async but they didn't replace the code. They just add additional code. So meaning 
they have the synchronous code and they generate from it the asynchronous code for uh, every method they are interested in. So that means they can just maintain one version of the code, so the synchronous code, and uh, on every update, just regenerate the async code, keeping everything nicely in sync and not introducing a maintainability issue. And this idea was really great for us because it means we can, on our innermost layer, we can just generate the async code in addition. So meaning that we have then, for example, if we look at the repository class, which does data access uh, thing, we can just have the synchronous version, which loads something from the database, and then the generated async version, which loads it uh, from the database. And we can still maintain the synchronous code and don't need to to manually create an additional copy of the code, which can easily go out of sync. We just uh, can use code generators for that. And that helped us quite a lot. I think it would not have been feasible with a manual approach to, to do that in such a large code base with a large team. It would just get out of hand very uh, fast if you if you try to do that manually. So code generator was really the, the right approach. And um, luckily, that Enhibernate team they created this async generator tool, and you can just use it as well for your project. So just okay, just trying to break that down. So basically, you have two versions of of the method: an async version and a sync method. So I guess my first question would be like are you just going to maintain both of those versions perpetually like like if you had a change in the um if you had a change in the business logic would you update the sync version or the async version first we only update the sync version because the async version is generated by the async generator okay yeah okay so you never actually touch the async version at all that's completely generated okay so that is an interesting idea actually okay absolutely yeah yeah, there's, there are some possibility when you want to touch an async version. So if you're not happy with what the async generator generates in some cases, that that could happen, that it doesn't know something correctly or does some, some problems not really happen that much. But if you really run into an issue there, you could provide him with the async version as well of on the, for example, on the innermost layer. You can write the async version of some part of your code manually, and it will just use then that. So it will fi- it will see you have a sync version, and you have manually provided the async version, and then it will just use it from the other generated code if if you manually provide it. But that's not the normal case. That's just an exceptional case. If you're not happy with something it's doing, then you could potentially extract something into a into a, a small sync method and provide the async method there manually. So that's some kind of customization you can do if you're not happy with some parts of the generated code. But that's not really a lot where we do that. I think used it in one or two places, this mm. approach. Okay, so, so you update the sync version, but then I guess all the code that you that that uses this code would be used in calling the async version as well, right? Yes. So yeah. initially, the, we we have still on the outermost on on the more um, on the outer layers, we still have the sync code calling the sync uh, innermost layer. But then we 
we can uh, start converting on that layer as well, generating the codes there as well. And then this async code, it calls the async version because the async generator is quite clever. It sees uh, if it has an, uh, for a sync call, if it has an async call, the automatic, uh, sorry, if for a, a sync call, he has an async uh, version, which could be called instead, it just replaces that and calls the async uh, version instead. So it's, it's quite clever in, in doing that. And if there is no async version at all, or it could not find one, it will just wrap everything in a task from result or something like this. So to, to make also sync code usable from the async code. It's not optimal if you don't have async code on the innermost layer, because it means uh, you're, uh, yeah, having some busy waiting there. It's, uh, it's not really waiting. It, it's just, just doing synchronous stuff there, but, uh, potentially including some uh, waiting. But uh, yeah, it can still use as well uh, synchronous libraries if you if you have to interact with those, but it doesn't give you a benefit if, you, if you're calling the synchronous code, but uh, it still can work with it. So it's, it's really analyzing the whole code base and uh, checks for you if there is suitable async mesh method to call then it will replace the, the call. Otherwise, it will correctly wrap everything that you can call the, the synchronous method. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. That's interesting because, you know, I have not dove, dove into uh, using co- code generation very much. I've talked about it with a few people, but uh, I, I didn't know you could actually use it to actually rewrite the code. I thought it was just used for, you know, generating things that were new. So it's uh, interesting to know that you can kind of modify your existing code with, with that. Mm-hmm. It, it not really modifies it, it adds code. So it, uh, it, puts it in a separate folder in a partial class and uh, it will w- when you regenerate it it will just overwrite your partial uh, part of the code so it's not really it's not really touching your normal uh, synchronous version of the code or or this class it will just add there a, a partial keyword for you in your existing code base for for the classes or interfaces there it just puts the partial keyword and then it will generate uh, additional files with the async code. So that makes it a little bit uh, needs a little bit more effort if you want to get rid of your synchronous code in the end, which is um, suitable in our case because um, yeah, when we are done with everything async then we can get rid of the sync code but um, as it is code generator was mainly used in nhibernate where they want to keep both 
they don't optimize for that use case we have. But anyway, it's still um, very practical if you don't have to manually convert your code. And then in the end, yeah, just um, uh, override your your synchronous class by the async generated class, uh, then, it's, uh, then it's okay. Yeah. So does that mean like if, you, if you're putting it into a web application, you'd have twice as many endpoints? Like if you had one endpoint that was initially for you know using synchronous, you'd also have an async version as well? Yes, yes. It, it adds uh, for you the additional methods. So you have then a, a method called, uh, yeah, your my web method one async. If, if your synchronous method was called my web method one, it just generates everything with the async yeah, host fix. Yeah. And so on your front end, you'd have to change all the calls to have that async post fix, is it? Yes. That, uh, that's true. Yeah. Mm. So are there, are there any downsides to doing this this way rather than? You know, writing it natively asynchronous. Not really, because uh, what it was the what the async generator does is exactly what you would do if you convert it manually normally. So it looks exactly the way you would write the the code by hand. And and performance. Don't really see a difference there. Yeah. Performance yeah. is just the same. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So one of the <laughs> the things you have to know a little bit is. Um, there is no documentation for the async generator, sadly. So they just uh, put it in the source code of it into uh, and the NuGet package. <laughs> so you, you can install the NuGet package. That's easy to do, but uh, there is not really some documentation on it. So you have to find your way yourself. So that was not really problematic for me, as I have already seen how it's used in nHibernate. So I could use that as a template and do it the, the, the same way like uh, they did it. Um, they don't have all the, or they don't show all the, the things really there, <laughs> which you, you need in the end, but uh, mostly you can uh, start off with uh, what nHibernate uh, did. So, and the rest you have to, yeah. In, in the end, I had to look into the source code of the, of the generator as well. <laughs> so at, at some point, I configured something not in the good way, and I didn't, didn't understood what happened or, or why it's not working as I expected it. So I had to delve a little bit into the source code of the async generator and understand how it works and how it does things. And then I was able to figure out what I did wrong in the end. That was, um, yeah, it was, uh, it needed some time, but it was also very interesting for me because then I have seen how they did the whole thing in the async generator. So they, they used the, the Roslink compiler platform for that. So the, the, the same thing uh, Microsoft uses to analyze code and also uh, all the code generators you have there. It's all based on the Rosling compiler platform and the async generator just uses that as well. So and by looking at the async generator, I learned also quite some things about the Rosling compiler platform, which I had not really known before that much. So it was quite uh, funny and interesting to, to look into it. So once you write one of these generators, can you just run that on any code that you have, or do you have to write a generator that's specific to the, your application and how your your code is structured and 
and how it can recognize what it needs to convert. So you, you provide the async generator. It's just a command line tool. You provide it with a configuration file. It's a YAML configuration file. You tell him which projects he should look into and you tell him which methods of conversion he should use. So he has different uh, levels of conversion he can do. So you can tell him to, or you can force him to provide async versions of everything, or you can uh, use one of the much more uh, clever approaches where he uh, tries to find out if it makes sense to provide an async version of something, or you you can just um, use a very conservative uh, way where, for example, you put on an interface, you just uh, put the, the signature of the async methods you want, and then it generates the implementation for you. So that's the most uh, conservative uh, way of applying the async generator. So it has a lot of configuration settings you can uh, use to control things. You can also, for example, ignore specific methods or specific types you don't want to to convert. So it's uh, it's quite uh, powerful what you what you can tell the the generator, and you can also extend the behavior of it if you want to. So. You can, there is a plugin system in the async generator, meaning that uh, you can provide your own generation additions. So we, we use that uh, in our case for async disposable, which was not supported out of the box by this version of the async generator. So we added a, a plugin which uh, converted uh, the code we are interested in using the async disposable in the correct way. So that was really nice that we could uh, even extend the behavior of the async generator when we were not uh, happy with uh, what it did. So it sounds like this tool is more of a, like just from what the way you describe it, no documentation and stuff like that, it sounds like it was more of a like an internal and hibernate tool that you've just kind of taken um, and used for like another use case. Would that be correct? Like yeah, I would say so. So it's a, it's a separate project on GitHub. So it's not integrated uh, in the N-Hibernate source code, but I'm not, I'm not sure there are potentially more users of it, but uh, the main user I have seen is uh, N-Hibernate. And I think one of the guys writing the async generator is also a contributor on the N-Hibernate project. So uh, from there, they definitely have a strong connection, but it's completely, uh, independently usable from an hibernate. But um, as as the yeah the, the maintainer of the async generator works in the N hibernate team, they don't need documentation because mm. they have the developer knowing how to configure the things. Yeah. It yeah it would be really, really great if they would provide documentation because it's such a useful tool. But sadly they well you know the code now maybe you can it, yeah. Maybe you can you yeah. can contribute to, to be a documenter or something. <laughs> yeah, that would be one possibility. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. So, have you noticed any kind of noticeable uh, performance benefits um, after you ran the entire code through your um, through this generator? Like, are we are we seeing like really awesome kind of like much better UI kind of thing, um, less processing? Yeah, we. Oh. I think we we have seen in the in the scalability, we have uh, seen quite some improvements in the end. But uh, we are not completely through with converting everything because it's a very, very big uh, code base. 
So, and we're working also with multiple teams on that code base. So some teams are already done with the conversions. Some others, um, not yet. So they have just, um, converted the innermost layer so that they can write the new code, um, with async await and just maintain the synchronous, uh, code until they got, uh, some slot where they can do the conversion. So the, the full benefits we will only see completely at the end, but it's really a noticeable improvement on the number of requests we, we can handle. Yeah. So what else should we know about, uh, you know, async await and, and using code generators that we haven't covered? Yeah. I would say. It's really important if you, if you want to do this conversion, then you have to convince your management of, uh, of allowing you to do it because it's just, uh, it's a, it's a refactoring, right? And, uh, you have to, to give them some reasons and to also, um, ensure to them that it will not uh, introduce a lot of problems into the, into the code so that you don't do a lot of errors. So I think it's, um, from that point of view, you, you really need to have a good strategy of converting everything. And yeah. uh, you have to really think about how you want to do it, how you plan it. You have to sell it to, to your management and yeah, then do it. I think you can, with the, the async generator, you can start small. You don't need to, to do everything at once. So you can really do some uh, prototype stuff or just, um, Start at one edge of your application and uh, show the team, show the management how it works, what the benefits are, and then you can uh, build up on that. And in the end, you should reach the point where you have converted everything. And the good thing is that you don't have to stop your your normal development in in, in this endeavor because um, yeah, it's uh, because you work with code generators you can still maintain your synchronous version of the code. You don't have to, to do everything at once to not introduce bugs or something like that. Because if you, if you would maintain two versions of the code, that would be a complete nightmare, right? So you have to really choose a, a clever approach so that you don't uh, run into a disaster in the end. So is there a lot of risk with this conversion? I would say not a lot, but um, I have carefully looked at what the async generator generated to make sure that it's really um, the right thing he did. So at the beginning, I looked very, very carefully every generated line and uh, ensured that I understood correctly how it works and uh, what it does and if I configured everything correctly. But after you have passed that phase, you can be quite sure that it does what you expect it to do. So would you test the asynchronous or the synchronous version via unit tests? So we have we have quite a lot of tests in our code. For example, we have uh, a lot of uh, Selenium tests for the web application. So that's definitely something we always run and see that everything still works. So also integration tests on the, the web APIs so that we will also still run. So the, those we have to also convert from uh, the, the synchronous version to the asynchronous version in the end. Then, luckily, the, the testing frameworks, they support the, the async await as well. So it's not really an issue there because uh, yeah, if, if they would not support it, it would get really cumbersome to, to write your test code. But uh, luckily, it, uh, it, they, they, the test framework support that and you can easily 
easily test that. So we, we have definitively written our unit tests then for the synchronous version first, but um, in the end, we have to convert that as well to the, the asynchronous version. Okay, I think we've uh, we've covered quite a bit in the the time we've just done, we talked about this stuff. It's nice, you know, to do this the way it used to be in in .NET one or two or four or things like that would have been really scary. But you know, with these these code generators, you got to be at least on C sharp nine, correct? Yeah, you have to use a version where the Roslyn compiler platform works. Yeah, yeah. so but uh, yeah. Normally, you, you you can use it on .NET standard two projects, for example, or on .NET five projects or .NET six projects, uh, whatever you like. There, and it's probably I'm not sure if it really works on on much older versions. I have not tried that because we we're working with .NET standard two and uh, .NET five at the moment. Yeah, that that that's another story. We have. Uh, we have started with .NET 4.8 <laughs> in our project, and we had also to think about the clever approach to bring that to .NET 5 in the end. Okay. But, uh, yeah. All right. So I think I'm going to uh, move us on to picks, and we'll go from there. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. I guess I will go first this week. I don't often go first, but I think I will, just so nobody takes my uh, my pick. So this week and uh, starting today, I think Stranger Things Season 4 is now out. So, you know, this is going to be released a few days so after the, after this has been recorded, so uh, it's already been planned. But at least you, with Netflix, you can get on there and you can binge watch all the episodes if you want, or take them one at a time and take your pace. So I haven't seen anything about it. Uh, I've seen the previews. The previews look great. And if I'm not mistaken, I think this might be the last season of Stranger Things. I think they're only going to be four seasons. So check it out, season four of Stranger Things. So did they like kind of like have a long break? Because I remember like watching. I'm only up to season one, but I remember watching that season one, like, I don't know, at least six or seven years ago, I reckon. Probably even longer. So, like, did they, you know how usually TV series, like, have one per year type thing? Did they, like, take a long break between season, one of the seasons? Yeah, or? I think it, uh, production time takes a while. Mm. And I'm sure with uh, the pandemic, everything that's kind of slowed mm. things down as well. So that was there. And then, of course, I don't know how they're going to explain the, you know, how much the kids have changed. You know, since yeah. last season, as they hit their growth spurts and things like that, so mm. uh, that'll be interesting to see what what goes on there because they're going to look quite different from what, especially from season one, which was I don't no, know how yeah, was, yeah, yeah, season yeah. one came out, but yeah. So, cool. all right, what's your pick, Way? So my pick this week is the Jabra Elite Seven Pro. It's a it's a set of earbuds that I just bought recently. So yeah, so it's it's basically the first set of decent earbuds that I've been I bought you know, ever. I've always used just kind of either cheap Bluetooth ones or just wide ones. Um, and I just didn't realize just how far the technology has come for earbuds, like um, just things that you can you, you can do, you know, like you, can, you got this like kind of, like you, got, you got this noise cancellation mode and you got this like mode where it kind of records the outside um, and you can, um, when someone speaks, you can actually kind of hear, you can actually hear them, so you don't have to take your earbuds off. So, so yeah, it's been, it's been really fun having these kind of smart earbuds and kind of yeah it's probably the only set of technology that i have that i haven't kind of you know kind of had the latest kind of thing so it's kind of cool so okay all right 
All right, Dominic, do you have something you want to let our listeners know about? Kind of a pick for you? Yeah, just uh, finished watching uh, Star Trek Picard Season 2. Yeah, I'm really liking uh, Star Trek. So yeah, that's just finished uh, the Season 2 and looking forward to the next one. Yeah, yeah. That, that will probably last some time until it uh, gets out. All right. Yeah, I watched season one. I, I enjoy season one. I've been meaning to check out the new Star Trek. Have you watched the the new one yet? Yeah, the the season two of Picard is what is out on Amazon Prime. Yeah, no, there's a new new Star Trek with oh. uh, with Captain Pike. Oh, okay. Not yet seen yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's a new one. So they got the you know Star Trek Discovery. They've got Picard. And now they have a, th- a third one going as well. So that just came out a couple of weeks ago, I think, when it first came out. And so, yeah, check that okay. out. Yeah, that's a good uh, good uh, hint. Yeah, yeah, I will do that. All right. All right. If uh, our listeners have questions and they want to g- get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that, Dominic? I would say you can do that, for example, via LinkedIn or my company email address uh, or um, with the, on the Medium article. I have written to that topic. I think there is a possibility to to do some discussion. So whatever suits you. Okay. All right. We'll link to all that stuff in our show notes. So if our listeners want to get in touch with us, they can get me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. And we'd love to hear your questions, comments, things you'd like to hear us uh, cover in the future. So tweet them at me. I'll get back to you. Thanks, everybody. Good episode on, on Async Await and using code generators. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks a lot. All right. And we'll catch everybody else on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.